Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Hello and welcome to the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Elwood Jones, and joining me of course is my co-host, the Professor Mr. Stephen Palmer. Howdy. And we are back after the festive break. I hope you all had a good one and now you're now quickly trying to cram in those last days of being able to dip shortbread into Elm Lee and gorge yourself on the couch before the new year rolls around and we've all got to pretend to be active and take on resolutions that we will... No doubt I'll keep for about a week. But hopefully a good resolution to keep is to obviously listen to this show, so well done you on keeping that resolution. But Stephen, how was your festive break? It was fine. I'm, um... I don't really get terribly festive and excited about Christmas. I'm not quite a bar humbug, but... Well, you saw my Christmas jumper <laughs> the other day. <laughs> it just understated to say the point but it it was fine um it was nice to have a break i guess but like you suggest all the eating and everything does get a bit too much doesn't it (laughs) it does um i have to yeah you know the eating and drinking and eating and having people round that you've you've got to be nice to for once and time of the year and stuff and gets in the way of your movie watching, doesn't it? So It it gets in the way of life in general. Um, But yeah, I don't want to... Yeah, again, I don't want people to think I'm a a horrible misanthrope, but I am. (laughs) And I find Christmas really hard. But it was fine. We've still got New Year's, the most overrated day of the year to go at the time of recording, so... How exciting! Got that to look forward to. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I managed to watch it, catch up on a few things. Unfortunately, I had all these great plans going into the festive break that I was going to watch all these things, and instead spent most of my time catching up on like all the Western cinema that I'd seen. So things like Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which you know, beautifully animated, but very plain story-wise. And Spider-Punk <gasps> is like a character it. who. Spider-Punk, I think, was a great character visually, and then he mm-hmm. opens his mouth and it kills the character, and then he takes his mask off and decimates the character because he's basically Lenny Kavaritz in a Spider-Man soup with a Cockney accent, because that's what British punk sound like. Um, if we're going to do a punk, at least do like American revivalist punk, but then again, punk is an American invention, despite what the British reworking re- of the history of music will have you tell otherwise. But, you know... Potatoes, potatoes. I mean, just uh, listen to uh, Lars Fredrickson's History of Punk. If you don't believe me, he'll pretty much outlay it for you. And the guy's in Rancid, so he would know. But, uh, you know, I saw the Spider Spoiler. Uh, I saw the Super Mario Brothers movie, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. I really liked that. It's a very I... much a Pavlovian response movie, isn't it? <laughs> so, like, remember this thing? It's like, look, Super Jumpman. Look, we're in Punch Out Cafe. And it's like, you hear this music? You remember this music? You like this music? <laughs> um, I, I I, felt um, 
I felt it got a lot of hate. I don't know how you can hate it though. It's so But it's absolutely charming. And you know, am I a big fan of Chris Pratt's Mario voice? No, but in general, it's charming. It it's got all those sort of um like you say they're not even Easter eggs, are they? They're up there on the screen, but it's got it's it's got all this sort of Mario lore stuff. But it's it's a pretty fine CGI animated movie, and it doesn't go on too long. And yes, we're going to get loads of them, but I thought it was pretty good. Um, I'd forgotten I'd said, uh, yeah, I, I saw that in the summer, I think, and um, I enjoyed that. Yeah. I respect any movie which knows that to solely secure its bets, so you've got to include ACDC on the soundtrack, which it does when we have the cart sequence, which is basically just the menu select screen from the Switch version of Mario Kart. Yep. <laughs> yes. I, I'm gonna, have you even inspired me to go and rewatch that? I, 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 did, I, bought, I bought that earlier in the year, and um, I think I was... I was off work, I was unwell or something, and I watched that, and I just felt good it's not you know i'm not going to say it's a film that's you know to quote you like going to be on my main rotation but it's charming and harmless yeah i mean there's certainly like a lot of films which i noticed the mainstream critics really hating on like india jones and dial of destiny i thought that was a really fantastic romp i think it really sort of hit a lot of good notes for me and i had a really fantastic time watching that with my food coma on christmas day and you know violent night it's die hard with santa what's not to like about that um, <laughs> and they had me thinking a lot about how um we're having this sort of um i don't want to say it's like a second coming but um john logrismo seems to be having hell of a year going off uh off my top 50 for this year because he's in violent night and he's also in the menu and while people like saying, oh, he's like having this like second coming of John, like John Legrisma, it's all like, no, John Legrisma's just always been working. It's just the projects he's happened to star in this time are just getting a higher profile than mm. other ones. So, but you know, I don't think I would have remembered anything he's been in for about 20 years, but you're right. He's in lots, isn't he? So I mean, he's <laughs> in Chef. He's in John Wick. Yeah. Is he? Yeah. He's like uh, one of the uh, henchman guys for the okay. uh, Russian mob. I mean, the last thing I really remember him headlining is, was it Army of the Dead? <laughs> Which was, that's got to be. He was in Land of the 25 Dead. 25 years ago. Is that the one? Yeah. The one with the van? Yes, he's in Land of the Dead. He's Land in of the Spawn. Dead, Spawn. Yeah. He's in Spun. He mm. does a lot of voice work, so he's like in Titan AE. Yeah, I'm sure he um, does. He's really in the Ice well. Age movies. In Kancho. I'm just going through his letterbox now, but yeah, he's sort of like you look at his um, look at his letterbox and you're sort of like, oh wow, there's all these films that I've watched and I forgot that he was actually in there. So, <laughs> but um, obviously back on you know brand, I did cross a, a rather big cinema shame off my list, and I finally got around to watching Your Name from 2016. You see, I remember. When I saw that at the cinema, <laughs> and I'm sure I recorded an episode. We weren't doing this in 2016, were we? In my head, <laughs> I came home from the cinema and recorded an episode and said, I'd watch that. And I think, I think you sounded fairly nonplussed about it, but maybe you didn't. I definitely saw I saw it. I haven't seen it for a long, long time, but I, I saw it at the cinema. I got one of those... Um, 
one night only releases yeah, yeah. at our local cinema and um yeah and obviously the director's um done some other good stuff as well so i'm surprised you hadn't seen it before no I mean, I, i'm assuming you enjoyed a couple it, of cracks at this one this was like my third attempt to watch it because first two times i tried to watch it i fell asleep um and then lost track of where i am but if you're obviously not familiar with your name it follows two high schools um it's and taki who find themselves switching bodies uh randomly with each other and they discover deep things about each other's lives and in many ways sort of help or hinder each other's um, personal lives through the actions they take while inhabiting the other's bodies. And, you know, it's a real charming sort of like Red Fred of Destiny little teen romance going on. And then you realise that uh, that's just the first half of the film and the other half is about him trying to stop her village from being destroyed by a meteorite that's going to obliterate them all, which I thought was a rather interesting twist. And yeah, I really enjoyed this one. It's a beautifully animated film. It does some really fantastic things with the actual medium. And certainly when you look at the amount of detail in the scenery, especially, and just the amount of depth that these characters have, it's just such a really wonderful watch. And the mystery itself is really great as they try to... um, As as he uh, obviously tries to finally meet this girl that he's been kind of growing like a little obsessed with um and there's jokes where obviously because he's a teenage boy and he inhabits it when he wakes up in a girl's body his first instinct is to grope her boobs which leads to some really interesting conversations with her sister who thinks that she's gone weird and yeah i've just fairly enjoyed this one i thought it was a really great um as I said, discovery for this year, and as so, it reflected uh, highly in my top fifty film scurries for this year. So obviously, I'm a huge fan. I mean, I, I don't do a lot of anime, as we and as we've discussed a, a zillion times. But um, Makoto Nitsu, obviously, we did one of his films in, in an early episode, didn't we? I think we did the place promised in our early days. Yes, that's right. And I don't think you dug it at all. No, but, um, I did not. <laughs> um, and that's from um, that's from back in 2004 isn't it but yeah things like 5 centimeters a second and Voices of a Distant Star and Garden of Words and Children Lost, Chase Lost Voices love all them um, and to me that all culminated in your name I think he did a lot of his early stuff himself you know it's all done on his it's almost like self made on the computer he's a animation you know he's he's, he's He's more than just an artist. He does. I think it's all done on the computer and stuff like that. I, I'm pretty certain your name has got a team of thousands with it, or a team of hundreds at the very least with it. But yeah, I really love his work, and I've got to be honest with you, I haven't checked out some of his more recent stuff, like um, Suzami, which I think came out this year or last year. So you've reminded me. I need to. I've still got Weffering New to watch, which is on the box, and you can also watch that currently on the Channel Four player as well. Cool. Um, along with your name, if you haven't discovered that already. Um, I also watched Ride On, which came as a recommendation from my co-host Kim over on Movies and Tea. Uh, this is a Jackie Chan movie from this year. And it's basically his homage to the stuntman of Hong Kong cinema. And the same time sort of like cast a very nostalgic eye of his greatest hits. as He plays an aging stuntman who's 
suffered um, a number of setbacks in his life after a stunt that he was trying to do went wrong and he ended up with a head injury which caused the collapse of his marriage and basically caused him to lose everything. So the only thing that he has is his wonder horse called Red and the the horse um, is currently trying to be reclaimed by the courts as part of a bankruptcy settlement. And the film itself uh, basically follows him and uh, his horse as they avoid the debt collectors and find themselves becoming recognised once again by the uh, stunt community when a video of him battling uh, these debt collectors becomes a viral sensation. And at the same time, it enables him to reconnect with his daughter who he's had sort of like a fractured relationship with. I mean, it's a very touching film and it's really hampered by a very fragmented script as well as an overly generous runtime. I mean, you could probably hack a good 40 minutes out of this and made it a lot stronger movie. But at the same time, Chan gives a very sort of touching performance here and it's certainly his connection with the Wonder Horse Red is what really uh, adds a lot to the film as the pair have such great chemistry and... Yeah, I mean, the stunt work's not as obviously in the league of his earlier films, but at the same time, he still manages to craft some imaginative action sequences, such as we get an early brawl with these debt collectors who, for some reason, cruise around the town on mopeds of old choices. But there's some fun things in there, and we get some nods to his earlier work, including the return of the seal hat from First Strike, which was kind of funny to see. But, um, yeah, I really I enjoyed this one while it lasted, but I don't think it's going to be one that would be added to the shelf is more one for the rental pile but what about yourself Stephen? um what okay. have been holding your sort of interest okay so i see what we're doing now it, which is good <laughs> so so i've got some asian cinema stuff and i've also got some things that i've watched recently okay. sort of and i was concerned the thing i really want to talk about whether it was asian cinema or not spoilers it isn't, but I can stretch. But it'll also give me a chance to talk about a couple of other things. Yeah. Right. Let's um, let's let's start at the bottom. Um, so I think last episode, or probably the episode before the last episode, I talked about, and this is really for Marcus. Are you listening, Marcus? Because I've continued <laughs> Don't watching like my calling him out now. <laughs> my my vent. Well, we had a little chat, didn't we, on on Facebook about the Joseph Co. Um, Vengeance oh yes, that's set, correct. Yeah, of which I have purchased not in the box set, but in the two separate collections. So I'm still going through the first one. And if you remember last time, um, what was it called? Uh, Shaolin Kung Fu, a movie with no Shaolin and very little Kung Fu, which I thought was adequate at best. So I've watched a couple more of the films on the first box set. Um, the first one being the Shaolin Kids, which has no Shaolin and no kids, and actually is sort of a a King Hu style sort of political thriller with a bit of kung fu, um, based on a real historical event. I would love to tell you, mate, what happened in the film, but I watched it a couple of weeks ago. I can barely remember it. Its biggest problem is it's got a lot of old Chinese men with long beards and white hair um, talking and stroking their beards with their overlong fingernails. You know the kind? Yeah. And it's just not very interesting. It's kind of well made. You know, Joseph Crow was working on, on a budget. Um, but it just reminds me of how good a lot of um, Shaw Brothers films and Golden Harvest films are. <laughs> Um, and you know it's a b- 
bit unfair to compare the two. You know, Crow was probably working under a lot more um, budgetary constraints. But the illusions I drew to King Hu are very similar because they were both working in Taiwan. They've both got you know the wonderful Taiwanese countryside to play with, and one does wonders with it. Um, and Quo's movies so far have been functional at best. They're not terrible. Um, I now understand why this boxer even exists because, as I understand it, Quo's films were were played in like the Grindhouse theaters in um, New York. Is it Forty Second Street, New York Grindhouse yeah. theaters? Um, over and over and over again. So they'll have a huge amount of resonance with a certain sort of American audience that maybe we don't have here. So I'm sorry for people that really enjoy it. But Marcus, I'm kind of agreeing with you. And to double down on that, <laughs> I've also watched The 18 Bronze Men, which was a movie I had heard of before, and I'm sure I've got some visuals in my head. Have you seen 18 Bronze Men? I'm aware of it. I don't think I've actually seen it. So it's the one with the gold again, guys, isn't it? Well, yeah. So there is a there's an asterisk next to this, which I only found out just before recording this show. But let me talk to you about the eighteen bronze men. So I, it's basically a story of a. It's it's during the um it's Qing dynasty, and the people in charge go and kill all the rebels and the people that don't approve of their oppressive regime. A young lad is saved from this uh, massacre and sent to the Shaolin Temple to be trained and eventually, hopefully, have revenge on his massacred family. Um, So what we have here is... You know we talk about films with three acts. This is just the most obvious three acts ever. We have Act 1, which is watching a training montage for 30 minutes. Um, and I know, again, I like to go and read on Letterboxd what other people think of it, and I think there are people who love this aspect of it. For me, it just went on and on and on a bit. Um, it's only so long you can enjoy watching a five-year-old pull his kung fu moves in a training montage. Um, so there was that. And then him and a couple of his other, he calls them his brothers, um, to graduate from the school. Oh, you can tell the difference between our lead character and everyone else, because he's the only one who hasn't had to shave his head, because he's not going to become a monk for some reason. Right. So he's got 70s long straggly hair, everyone else is bald and looks kind of the same, because they're all wearing the same clothes and they're all of their head shaved, and unless you're really good at comparing physiques, it can be a bit confusing. Anyway, so... To graduate from Shaolin School, they need to both undergo the challenges of the 36 Chambers. We'll come back to that in another movie. Um, And um, the challenge of 18 bronze men. Now, I'm not convinced there's even 18 bronze men in the movie, but I didn't sit there and count because I didn't expect I'd have to. The, The bronze men take two forms. One is as some burly guys that have got the old um, gold finger treatment. You know, they're covered in... Yeah, they're in gold paint. Gold paint, yeah. But there's also a collection of them that seem to have escaped either from an episode of Doctor Who or maybe season five of The Avengers, the colour one with, with Emma Peel. Because um, <laughs> they've got some kind of... Initially, I thought they were walking statues, but I think it's just sort of gold armour with a full-on head. It just looks bizarre. We get 30 minutes of this where three of the guys, our lead character, who's known as Seventh Brother, 
and third brother, who's um, Carter Wong from um, Big Trouble in Little China, um, is third brother, who's a bit gruff, but seems to like seventh brother. It's very hard on him. And then the sixth brother, who's a pathetic waste of space. Um, And they spend 30 minutes not getting out past the bronze men. Then they find a book which gives them the secrets of Kung Fu. It's like a shortcut guide. And then after reading it for a year, they manage to get out. And then we've got 30 minutes to go in the movie, mate. And then we get to the plot where they um, have to hunt down the guy that was responsible for killing Seventh Brother's um, family and commit revenge on him. Um, there's double crossing. There's... there's well, let me give you an example. This film is one hour and 35 minutes long. At the one hour 15 point, we've just met, we've gone to a bar, and, and that kind of come dime with me things happen, where there's a, there's a woman there who runs the bar who's challenging them to fights. The thing is, she's not a woman, right? She's a, she's, a, she's a woman pretending to be a man. If anyone is fooled by this... I don't understand how anyone could be fooled by it because she's got eyeliner and she's got breasts and I know it's a trope of Kung Fu cinema, but it's just... But don't worry about that because at 1 hour 15, she's fighting somebody else and a jade pendant falls out of her um, man suit and our hero pulls out the other half of this pendant, has a quick flashback which says, oh yes, this... That there's a girl out there who you are betrothed to. <laughs> Helpful. Um, if you ever, you know, this means that basically it's an arranged marriage. He's remembering something from when he was four years old, and he's happened to bump into it, but it's never been mentioned before. Twenty minutes before the end of the movie, and then we have some quite crazy fighting stuff, and I'm making it sound better than it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really weird. It's a movie that I've heard of. It's it's okay and it's functional. There's parts of it that are nice and worth loving. What I will say is it's got a cock chopping in it, so it's definitely on brand. And Carter Wong's character has a tattooed chest with a swastika in the middle. Now I am fully aware that the swastika symbol has been, you know, taken from Buddhist. Um, yeah, it was uh, co-opted like so many things uh, by the Nazis, and yeah, it just makes indeed. it really bizarre when you watch a lot of uh, Asian yeah. cinema that the swastika will obviously turn up in yeah. most random places. Now, 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 this film was made in 1976. <laughs> That's 30 years, 31 years after the end of um, World War Two. I think everybody knows what the swastika means now. Sorry, what, how the swastika has been co-opted. So seeing Carter Wong as fundamentally swastika man in the final scene <laughs> of the movie is kind of fucking weird. So that was 18 Bronze Men. I've got the return of 18 Bronze Men to finish the first half of the box set. I'm not holding out high hopes. Don't get me wrong. Oh, they're not, they're not terrible at all. They just are adequate. Um, right. Other things I've seen that I have enjoyed. Um, I watched the latest Nicolas Cage movie, Dream Scenario. Okay. Um, another sort of late stage Nicolas Cage movie, because he's doing a lot of 
really amazing stuff in the back end of it. He sort of was this Oscar-winning actor at the beginning, then he did any old shit, and then he started making these really interesting movies, sometimes quite self-referential. Um, so in Dream Scenario, he plays a professor who basically starts appearing in people's dreams all around the world. Um, and I'm not going to say much more about it. It's It's basically a sort of exploration of what it means to be a celebrity in the modern culture so it'll lead on to things about cancel culture and 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 all that kind of sort of hugely relevant stuff a 60 year old bumbling professor nicholas cage is as probably as good as you expect it to be he's really good in it other people in the movie are really good in it i think it bungles the end a little bit but i really enjoyed it however the film I enjoyed the most over Christmas by a million miles um, is a British movie. I'm just trying to get the deets up now. Um, but it's also a nation movie. So it's um, it's directed by a British um, director. Her name's um, Nida Manzor called Polite Society. Oh yeah, this is uh, <coughs> turned up on Sky Movies today. I've seen this oh. uh, floating around but I've not actually seen now, it. Basically, it's the story of a young British Pakistani girl who wants to be a stump woman and her hero is um, oh that woman that won gladiators and became a proper stump person. What, Eunice Hussard? That's right. So <laughs> that's, that's her hero. Dive? That's her hero, um, who appears in a photograph and her voice appears later. Um, her sister is a dropout from um, art school. Their parents, are, although they're Pakistani, British, their parents give them quite a lot of, you know, they're, they're not, it's not like East is East where they're all being locked away. They're allowed to do stuff and they've got friends and things like that. The sister ends up, there's a kind of sort of marriage party and she ends up getting getting a, it's not quite an arranged marriage but she gets arranged with this this young handsome pakistani geneticist doctor guy and and the young girl is really upset about this that her sister sort of betraying her and they fight and and it sounds so far like like a um, just a classic sort of british cultural comedy i spoke about east is east didn't yeah. I, a couple of weeks ago you know that that's what it that's what i thought i was gonna watch then about halfway through the movie it takes that it takes a complete fucking genre twist if you are a fan of the films of edgar wright and i'm thinking in particular hot fuzz and the one world's end right you will fucking love polite society oh <laughs> that's not good then <laughs> you don't like that uh, no. uh, the thing is, I, I always find that when it can take a rights films, that the further he got away from Spaced, the better he would be. He, he is as a director. So, like, Baby Driver, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Mm-hmm. Shaun the Dead is obviously an exception, um, because as I said, that's just his homage to how much he loves uh, Dawn of the Dead. I never. Hot Fuzz, I just didn't really get into, and World's End, I just had no sort of time or uh, patience for it, because it felt like. Um, 
it felt like he was following into the same problems of Hot Fuzz, where it's only like every man and his dog was like turning up for this thing. I think, I think, I think that sort of everybody from British comedy turns up at that at that kind of criticism. I think that's fair criticism. I think he has got better as a director. You know, I, I although he who must not be names in it, I do love Baby Driver so much. I think it's one of the most, it's one of the best edited films ever. Um, don't worry about it though, because it's not like that in the sense there ain't a lot of celebrity castings or anything like that it's just a huge amount of fun um it goes all a bit sci-fi oh she's really into kung fu moves there's there's kung fu in this there's um it, it there's culture shock stuff there's teen drama there's it, it's very knowing and self-aware i think it helps that it wasn't the movie i was expecting to see <laughs> i think i think i was expecting more of a sort of a gentle drama um, and I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I was wondering if I was going to be able to talk about it on the show because, well, it's not really Asian, is it? Even though it, it's directed by an Asian, someone of Asian, but it's not Asian since she is Asian, and and all the um, all the main characters, including the lady that played Gilda in um, in EastEnders about twenty years ago when I used to watch EastEnders. <laughs> she's the mum in it, and she's really good as well. But yeah, really, really entertaining, really funny. But I. I I'm not saying it's like exactly like Hot Fuzz or um, hmm. or, uh, or or World's End. It's just that that was it's 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 not really riffing on any existing films. But you know the way that that probably Scott Pilgrim's a better example actually of things with the on-screen graphics and the way the movie's sliced up and the hyper reality of certainly of the second half will give you Scott Pilgrim vibes. So. If you get a chance, I really suggest you check it out. It's also only about an hour and a half long, which is, um, again, 103 minutes. That always gets the thumbs up from me. Um, the only other thing I've been doing um, is I picked up a cheap box set of all the Carry On movies. So what I am doing is watching all 31 Carry On movies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only five into it in my head. Maybe this is an idea for a podcast, but what I've realised is, no, it's not. Um, Does it include Columbus? It, the box set doesn't include Columbus. because oh, it's funny um, how they've eliminated that one, isn't it? So. Well, it inc- goes up to Emmanuel, which is the traditional cast. Let's face it, only one person from the original cast is in Columbus. And I think it's different um, production companies, so probably... But you're right, it has been eliminated from history. But then so should some of the others. However, I've watched the first five, so sort of um, carry-on sergeant, nurse, constable, regardless, and another one. And they're actually kind of fun and entertaining, and they're getting better and better. <laughs> they're they're fun as a... and entertaining as the seaside postcard. And Well, I think these early ones, the black and white ones, aren't there yet. Um, they feel like very British 1950s comedies. Um, yes, you've got um, Kenneth Williams and Charles Hawtrey camping it up a bit, but they've been doing that on the radio for years. Um, we're not we're not getting much sauciness yet, although regardless has got Fenella Fielding's bosoms heaving in a very low-cut cleavage in... In such a way, but yeah, I'm I'm kind of enjoying them, but I'm interested to see what. what well, let's face it, in Carry On Sergeant, Sid James isn't a dirty old man. In and and most shockingly was in Carry On, the very first one, 
carry on. Oh, what did I say it was called? Sergeant. I think you said was it. No, I think I did. Yeah, it is called Carry On Sergeant. Yeah, sorry, Sid James is the old man in Karen Constable. Carry On Sergeant, based on the war. Firstly, the first Doctor, William Hartnell, is the lead character. Is the is the lead protagonist and antagonist, and Bob Monkhouse in his only appearance, is the lead as a straight man. And this is a guy we grew up with, you know, as, as I said to my ex-brother-in-law over Christmas, that he's in it, but it was in the days before he lost his joke book. And as my brother-in-law said, um, yeah, do you remember people were paying him not to give it back? <laughs> anyway, that's a very deep dive into British culture for you. But yes, that's that's something I'm doing may come up again over the following few weeks as I'm uh, determined to watch them all. Okay, so we put out on the socials uh, my question for this episode of what should have been your favourite world cinema release of 2013. I think 2013 has seen some really great releases and we've certainly seen a new label enter the fray with uh, Radiance Films who've had a rather blinding year with their 26 releases I think they had for this year which included Big Time Gambling Boss as well, which is um, alongside the release of Welcome to the Doorhouse. So certainly I'm very excited to see what they bring to the table in the year ahead. Um, And I think there's certainly worth giving a follow on your socials, along with, you know, all the usual uh, people like Fairwinder Films, 88 Films, um, Indicator, Arrow. You know, we talk about them enough now, don't we, to... But um, we've obviously put it, I put it out there to uh, people to obviously tell me what have been their sort of like highlights of the year. A couple of responses um, from OK Nikatsu um, points out it's still got a couple to watch, but so far Godzilla Year One or Stranisa uh, Diamora. Not sure if you've heard of that second one, but uh, certainly Godzilla Year One. Uh, it is my film of the year so I totally agree with you on that one and uh, Scott from the Church of Tarantino came back with Godzilla Minus One Anatomy of a Fall Uh, El Conde which is on Netflix and I really recommend you check it out it's um, a fun um, play on uh, the vampire Miss Voss with uh, kind of like a family family dysfunction Uh, Kill Boxing and When the Evil Lurks so Definitely uh, some films to check out there as well. But uh, El Conde, I think it's it's one, as I say, it's one of those movies because it came up on Netflix. I think a lot of people sort of skipped over it because, you know, it's just there. It didn't get released with any sort of fanfare like a lot of their world cinema doesn't. And unless it's related to Squing Games in some ways, um, people don't really want to know half the time. You have to sort of like tell people it's there. So, But did you watch El Conde? I haven't, no. Um, it's directed by Pablo Larren. Um, as I said, it's a, it's a vampire film. Um, basically works on the principle that Pinochet um, was actually a vampire. So it's Chilean, is it? Yes. Um, okay. Yep. And basically he's getting... He's uh, getting ready to die and his family are basically arguing over who's going to get his sort of like financial legacy. Um, but it's, as I say, it's a really fun uh, twist on things and I think it's it's fun in the family dysfunction side and it's also fun in sort of like what it does with like the vampire mythos but uh, yeah if you've uh, not seen it I think it's one we may bring to the World Cinema Film Club at some point because uh, I think it's one that's definitely worth checking out if you've not seen it I uh, certainly included it in my 31 Days of Halloween this year and I uh, had a fun time with it so 
Is there any um, is there any label that you're particularly looking forward to? So, sort of like pitching as your label well, to watch for the year ahead, or? Well, as I, I mean, you know, I'm the king of um, Arrow, um, and obviously Eureka. I think it's the other one we didn't mention that I, I sort of follow what they do quite religiously. I have enjoyed this year stuff from eighty eight films, like I said in the in the last episode really excited to see that fight back to school box set um so, so yeah because i think they also oh, did uh tiger cage as well they did they've done a they've done a few um i think they do have this awful habit of uh, over they make things into little box sets but they're not box sets they're just like got some postcards and a cardboard sleeve but they charge 25 quid for it and things like robotics they did and stuff like that which is fun but it's not 25 quids worth of movies so they're kind of over packaging it and i get it they've got their audience and it's a you know they're probably going to sell two or three thousand of these things so you need to be able to maximize it to be able to afford to do it but it's um yeah, was was the inspector wear skirts? That was the other one I got this year. So I just yeah, I do think a little bit there's a little bit of a price issue, but I do enjoy what they do, especially as I think I've spoken before. Like when I first did my blog back in the day, when young Stephen with less grey hair and much less of a belly, you know, what I was trying to do with my blog was trying to show people that Asian cinema was more than kung fu movies and monster movies. <coughs> And although it doesn't sound like that, oh, and long haired ghost girls, they were the three things that I felt everyone thought, you know, just we've talked about the time, you know, in and around 1998 onwards. That's what Asian movies were culturally to us Brits. And to see them put out comedies, which sometimes are culturally difficult for us to understand. Um, I just think more power to it. Um, I think Eureka and Arrow are both a bit guilty of overplaying the um, uh, the Kung Fu card a little bit. And I do see some disturbances in the Eureka Facebook page where people keep having a go at them about that, but they don't seem to care. Um, but who put out A Moment of Romance? Was that Radiance Films? Um, which was a complete Yes, it is Radiance, yes. Um, So obviously that's a film. Did we do that this year or last year? It doesn't really matter. But, um, you know, that that kind of... You know, that's the classic one with Andy Lau on the motorbike. And um, I can't remember who the girl is in it. It doesn't matter. Um, it's It's just a really, really interesting release. And they've done a few interesting releases i'm a little bit concerned i don't understand where they're picking stuff up from or what the rhyme or reason is they also did um and we's visible secret another movie i fucking adore that i've got on some region three shitty dvd that probably doesn't even play properly um and so to have it nice on a on a a region wherever region we are blu-ray is amazing um so yeah i think they're probably my my little you know liking what 88 films does but they've been doing it for a while really interested in what radiance films do 
Yeah. Uh, obviously, on the streaming streaming side of things, I mean, our player is still up there, really, as my uh, platform of uh, the year, even though Mubai's obviously had its moments. Uh, BFI has also suddenly started uh, really coming into its own as well. And uh, we've certainly said multiple times how Prime has taken on the role of mom and pop video shop of the uh, streaming platforms. And Criterion, meanwhile, think that the UK is a second class market as we're still geo locked out of it. And yes, I know we could obviously use the. Was it uh, NFTs? It not NFTs. You mean a VPN? Yeah, I mean we could use a VPN <laughs> and, and access it that way. But you know, why should we? Well, I'm not sure you can actually, because you'd still have to have, register your address with them and stuff. Um, oh, do we have a? We don't even have the Criterion streaming here. No, no, we? no. This is the uh, this is the thing. We've I've raised it multiple times with them of like when they plan to bring it over because we obviously we get criterion releases over here but um so far my requests for the uk launch of a criterion streaming service have been met with uh deafening silence should we say um yeah i i mean it's it's all about i mean we we sort of have criterion we don't have every criterion release doesn't come over here so it, some of it's down to licensing and stuff like that and you know, I, I see them in HMV sometimes, and it's a it's a it's a subset. Although obviously we got our Godzilla box set, didn't we? Um, that's the dream. A Heisei Godzilla box set, please next year. I've certainly been um, yes. I've, I've been flying the flag for Yugo to uh, take on the art for for the Heisei set because she said she keeps posting. I'm working on a project, but I can't reveal what it was. And I think 95% of the responses were, was it the haste I set for Criterion? So, um, yeah, she says it is yeah, not, that's, but that's then like, again, you know, maybe. She, she, they, would say, they would say that, right? Um, I think streaming, um, I mean, I am, I barely watch Netflix. And one of my streaming services probably has to go in the new year. And right now it's Netflix, which is a shame. Because they are putting out, especially a lot of Korean cinema. Um, obviously, Squid Games is a big thing for them, so lots of things are getting. And obviously, they, they started back in the day, didn't they, with Okia and stuff like that. They they've um, and uh, they did a Sion Sono film, didn't they, that we covered. Um, I can't remember what it was called, but it was like a greatest hits of Sion Sono. Um, but I I'm just finding as a platform, there's very little I want to watch on it. Um, Mubai or Mubi as I assume it's really called um, obviously you turned me on to that and it's weird I won't watch it and then I'll think oh god I need to watch something on it and then suddenly there'll be some season of films <laughs> or something available and then I'll suddenly watch three or four in a row and that's that's more my wider world cinema stuff and I still pick up I know, some great British films on there they put out Good, you know, things like Decision to Leave that was on there this year, wasn't it? And um, yes, it was. And uh, Drive My Car the year before was 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 put out through Mumbai in the UK. Well, certainly they've uh, put out some some good releases. I mean, Titanic came from them under the under Silver mm. Lake came through them. Uh, so Pleasure, which is another Pleasure one. Pleasure was very this good year. as well. Um, yeah. So they they constantly surprise me as a platform, and at the same time they. I always have this uh, sort of like, um, should I really be here when I look at how their sort of like fan base comments on films and it's all like, 
Yeah, I, d- I don't comment on films like that. I, t- I, t- I tell you the other one I really enjoyed this year, which I probably shouldn't, but was again put out through Mubi, um, was Benedetta, the um, Paul Verhoeven... Let's just call it a non-sploitation movie. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's a bit higher brow than that, but it's Paul Verhoeven. You know what you're going to get, right? That was... Really, really enjoyed that. Um, for all lovers of dildos carved out of candlesticks. That's the movie for you. Um... But yeah, movie, movie. I, I just, it's, it's weird. I have a weird relationship with it. Like I barely watch it, and then I'll obsessively add shit to my watch list and watch it all day. Um, what's the other? Oh, I've got Disney Plus, which I don't watch for movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's good I, for I, the bear. <coughs> it's good for, for watching the bear. The oh, the bear. Yes. Um, yeah, there's some good stuff on there. Um, I think it's because I'm a Marvel geek that <laughs> I keep it there for the TV shows, even though, got to be honest, haven't watched Loki Season 2 yet. Um, I didn't bother going to the cinema to see the Marvels. Um, I'm Have I got superhero fatigue? Probably. But there is some other, I think... Was Welcome to Wrexham? Was that on Disney Plus? I think yeah, it that's is. on I think Disney that's probably Plus the only as well. Thing. I think that's probably the only thing I've genuinely followed on there. Um, I think my Apple TV subscription, which I got free with my phone, is expired, and I wouldn't have even noticed. <laughs> Just no. So, but yeah, I th- I do think Netflix might go. Netflix is at risk. I order too much from Amazon to not need Amazon Prime and therefore I get Amazon Prime. I was about to say, we just had Christmas and now I've pretty much got my movie watching for the year <laughs> sorted. Um, yeah. Including the copy of Cruising which I got from my mother-in-law who thought it was gay porn. The Al Pacino Yes, the Al Pacino winning Frankie movie. <laughs> She's like, why did you want so, gay porn? I was like, <laughs> it's not gay porn. It's got Al Pacino in it. I um what did I watch the other day? I, I watched the George C. Scott movie Hardcore. Oh yes. Which, <laughs> which is that wasn't what yeah, I was. Yeah, that's like a falls into that category of uh, a thesis and uh eight millimeter. Um of yeah. like uh, yeah. the normal person being dragged into the underground of pornography. Into the world of snuff movies, which is comes a bit out of nowhere. I just remember that. Movie. It has the black the black poster with the uh, line is like Oh my god, that's my daughter. That's that's exactly what it um, is. And um so that was who was that? That was a that's a, another label that I've picked up. I've been picking up I can't remember what it's called, but I got like um all the old Ray Harryhausen movies are coming out from um and they're quite bare bonesy releases, but they've got a nice visual style to the boxes. I know we shouldn't buy things on the on the stylization of the boxes, but that that was I can't remember who that was. But that was quite that's been a bit of a find this year. But again, I'm not entirely sure what their ethos is. It's a bit random, this bit, wasn't it? I'm not sure uh, <laughs> who who put that one out. I had a feeling it was Indicator, but I don't. It is Indicator. That's oh, it exactly is Indicator, who it is. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is a brand I just haven't come across before, and I, I guess now. Obviously, I think I spoke at length about the wonderfulness of network films who put out loads of old British TV. 
who went bust this year. That's true. So I'm I'm looking yeah I'm looking for something to replace that. Every time I think, oh, I'd really like to watch all the episodes of the Likely Lads. Who's going to sort me out, guys? Now network is gone. Oh, you're hoping that you're going to inspire with the listeners to set you up a retro TV company? Yeah. Someone just set it up. <laughs> I'm surprised it's not on one of the many channels or this many streaming channels I mean, that it, you can watch now. I mean, it it probably is. It's probably on Brit. We have we have a Kim's a... Convenience channel on uh, on uh, was it uh, Pluto? Really? Yeah, <laughs> which I do actually watch rather rather frequently. Not on Netflix for some reason. I just I like to dip in and out of it on Pluto. That's, I think that that's okay. Yeah. So. Pluto is a weird one. Um, I've got that. I've set that up on my PlayStation 5. You've got that sometimes. and you've got uh, Plex. Plex, Plex is, is a good one, yeah. one if you want to watch um, um, sort of like um, Forgotten Kung Fu movies. Because they've got a whole section on there called The Dojo and it's a lot of those sort of like uh, late night Kung Fu movie sort of fodder. I mean, I have this on my Sky, right? There's, like, movies for men and a couple of others down in the movies list, which show actually sometimes really good movies and sometimes really terrible movies, uh, all at 24 hours a day with adverts at the most inconvenient times. But sometimes, like, when I'm working, I'll put that <laughs> on and, some, and you'll come across some classic. Cool. Well, I know it's time to fire the projector for tonight's feature presentation as we continue our housemate double feature with 2010's The Housemate. we're looking at the housemaid from 2010 a remake slash reimagining of the um, 1960s movie yep, yep. Uh, directed by Im Sang Soo um, who also directed The President's Last Bank um, this is certainly a unique take because certainly when we came when you originally posed doing both housemaid movies together I thought well it's bit random where we just have a remake and we do it sort of like the following week um but um certainly was a big surprise obviously going into this one uh the film this version of the housemaid follows uh Hira and her husband Hoon who hire Unyi to look after their daughter but when Hoon gets Inyai pregnant uh Ray tries to kill the child and soon Unyi decides to seek revenge for the betrayal Already, if you gather from that uh, description, this is already off to a more a different track than the original film. And Stephen, have you seen this one prior to watching this? Was it first time watch? Yeah, no, no, I'd seen it before. So interestingly, I went back and looked at my blog to remind myself. But I basically watched this and the nineteen sixties Housemaid in the same week, like I don't know, ten years ago, <laughs> and. I had certain impressions which are recorded for prosperity on the internet, but I had forgotten 
quite how different this one is. It's it's like one of those Korean erotic dramas. I it's not really that erotic, and the sex is a bit awkward. Um, but see also <laughs> things like the Scarlet Letter and a, and, a, and a few others I could talk about. Oh, and the and the oh, what's that one you liked? Handmaiden. Oh, the Handmaiden. Which I, I always feel in Asian cinema like graphic sex. Well, it's not that graphic, but graphic for mainstream cinema. It never, no one ever looks completely comfortable. Um, and there's, but but yeah, it's that kind of movie. So I'd forgotten it was like that. I love um, Jean Doyon, who who plays the the titular housemaid. I think she's one of Korea's greatest actresses. Um, and we haven't really done a lot. I don't think we've done a film with her in, but she's the harmonium in my memory onwards. She's just amazing. So I always remember watching it for her. Um, which is in Killbox On. She is. She's the main character in Killbox On. Yeah. Um, and I was just fascinated by how Korean cinema had changed in those 40 years between these two movies. Um, you're quite right. It's not a remake. And there's a whole bunch of stuff around how the writer had deliberately not seen the original film. But there's enough story beats here. There's a housemaid who comes in who gets pregnant with the boss. But the whereas our hero, our lead man in the first movie, is somewhat sympathetic. It's not his fault he's so darn handsome, right? <laughs> in, this, in this one... The leads a prick, except well, he's a spoiler, rich boy, isn't he? <coughs> he? He is. So lots of things are very different. Um, I'd forgotten how good that opening sequence is, where you're sort of in. I think you're like in Central Seoul, and you get that feel of the busyness of the city, and the cameras flitting around, and people are doing stuff and buying stuff, and then suddenly some woman commits suicide. And how that's dealt with. I, I've forgotten how good that is. I'd also forgotten how weird the end sequence is. Um, but the stuff in the middle, I'd remembered most of that. And as you say, it's not. It's not a. It's not like a Gus Van Sant Psycho remake at all. In fact, it's only a few story beats are really the same. There is a housemaid who does get pregnant, who is forced to have a abortion, who is, uh, you know, she is. She's not thrown down the stairs. She's pushed onto a chandelier and drops down. <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's some similarities, but it's very different. So I was just interested. How has Korean cinema changed? And also, they are both stories about class. Yeah, this is very much story about about the the, the haves and the have-nots. And I was just interested in your views and in just how my rewatching of it went. I know it was a bit rambly. I hope that made sense. Yeah. I mean, certainly when we look at the original house housemaid, it's a very much a story of that darn cat. It's that we have someone who you just can't get rid of and whatever you do, it only seems to make the situation worse. And then when we look at this one, we obviously have now got much more of a class war going on because I think it's all got a lot to do with the time it was made. I mean, believe that um, at the time, with the 1960s version sort of like career was coming out of a a recession and it's all about you know people trying to rise up and, and make things for themselves and certainly it was the case where he with a piano teacher who's bought this house and he's trying to renovate it and at the same time keep everything together and pay for it and um the housemaid obviously provides this unnecessary uh problem 
that he in his life and when we come to this one it's very much more about the war of the classes she's brought into this she's brought into this uh very affluent household and it's her and there's a elder maid as well who's uh very much been there sort of like a long time she sort of like knows the routine and she's worked in this little rut for herself where she's quite happy to do the jobs that are wanted from and knows the fact that she can benefit because she gets to eat the food that they don't eat and the wine that they don't drink and she can sort of like live this very sort of parasite sort of lifestyle and it's this world that uh this new housemaid is uh brought into um here in Yi who, as we said already, was played by uh, Jun Di Yoon, who now, I remember, was also in Secret Sunshine as well, which was rather fantastic as well. I mean, she is fabulous. And we, we could probably do a whole season of um, Jun Di Yoon movies. Um, I'll also add the um, your uh, the, the, the elder maid, um, what's her name, Byung Sik, um, is played by uh, Yoon Ye Jung, who I think, I will mention for the unteeth time I've actually met and interviewed. Um, so she's the mum in Minari. She is, which I've got on the box to watch at some point. So. Um, and and um, she's she's like one of the great actresses of um, of Korean cinema. She always plays a sort of a a, a mum role. Um, I met her when they released Boomerang Family in um, in London in the Korean. Um, cultural centre and I used to interview people it hasn't happened for a long time I don't really do that kind of thing anymore but she's a lovely lady and um, that's probably when I watched this actually so but she's she's great so the and also the the fella um, you'll recognise Lee um, Young Jae who plays Hoon is that his name? Yes because um, he was the lead in Squid Games just you might not have seen him recognise him with the beard on and he's best. I I know him as um, the lead in Il Mare, a film I've still not bought to the show, but I will be. But so it's got this great cast. It's not just that these guys are super rich, but did you notice their richness is always dressed up in westernness? He wears a western suit with ties. They eat western food. They drink French wine. Um, in that end sequence, they speak English to each other, and they like Western art. Have you noticed that they're not very Korean at all? I don't, I don't know if that was. It didn't. It's not something that certainly stood out to my uh, to my myself. Um, but it's certainly an interesting point that uh, mm. you raise. Obviously, this the fact that uh, they're very much like this new money, and new money embraces this sort of Western decadence. The, the maids' outfits they're forced to wear are French maid outfits. You yes, know, this they are. Is, this is, everything they do is influenced by, and when I say the West, I mean Europe, actually, more than America. You know, there's there's this, there's this Britishness, there's a, there's a Europeanness to it, that um, which, which sets them aside from the housemaid and her mate, who are much more salt of the earth types aren't they they're um they're rural and they're a bit, a bit like our original housemaid who's like this animalistic sexual creature these two are they just feel more korean and less corrupted by modern society and the western influence on the world certainly when uh yun yi's first sort of comes into this household i mean she's very sort of like overwhelmed by this whole 
uh, the world that uh, she's sort of entering into. I mean, as I said, everything's so pristine and perfect. It's got this sort of very sterile sort of atmosphere to it. And while she's invited in many ways that she feels that she's sort of like part of the family, we have that scene where uh, she's going swimming with the, the family and uh, the mother's sort of like, you did bring your swimsuit with you and she changes it into, and she has to go and swim in the freezing outdoor pool. And then when the child gets cold and runs into the inside pool, they close the window, so she stood outside in the snow. It's like, oh, guess there's a real line between the family and the help then. <laughs> oh, well, there is, until she's caught in the bath. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly when it comes to uh, Hoon, though, he's his whole thing is that his, with his wife uh, carrying, carrying uh, twins... Um, he's finding himself struggling to uh, to deal with the situation as obviously while he likes the idea of having a family and uh, he loves his wife he's obviously still sort of craving that sort of like child freeness of their relationship and her being pregnant sort of throws a spanner in this as we see with the uh, uncomfortable sex scene um, that they're having so he goes a wandering and decides he's going to go and hook up with uh in Yi and the two uh spark a, a relationship which seems more weighted in his favor initially and then suddenly it sort of becomes more balanced as uh as the two sort of become more comfortable with this arrangement that they have for themselves and yes i know what you're going to say Stephen. there is some really awkward sex scenes uh, happening here which are probably up there with domino for yeah. yeah, that doesn't really work as a shooting I method. I, I don't know what's more awkward is is um, Hoon having sex with his wife, his pregnant wife, or Onyi giving him a blowjob, um, while he just sits there showing off his pecs. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's a really sort of key sequence there because when we look at him when he's having sex with his wife and he's there sort of sprawled out like a starfish. <laughs> and he's just, as I said, he's he's lost his sense of masculinity. He's been just like uh, he he doesn't have this sort of like uh, masculinity that he sees himself with. And then when we see him with, obviously with uh, Anye, and he, as you said, he said like doing the flex. He's doing the uh, Patrick Bateman thing because mm. he's sort of like he's sort of like yeah I feel like a man again I've got my masculinity back I'm with this hot young thing who's like a worship me who I have like this utmost control over because he doesn't really have control over his uh, his wife as uh, demonstrated by <coughs> the fact that she sort of like blows uh, I was going to say he blows him off but she literally does that doesn't <laughs> she? <laughs> she says I'll finish you off with my mouth because yes you've spotted it obviously he's the only guy in this movie really um Everyone else, it's the housemaid and her mate. It's his wife. It's his mother-in-law who appears a portion into this movie and is the real. She's clearly the power behind everything. Um, there's the there's the other maid, who obviously is enthralled to the mother-in-law because the mother-in-law has made sure that her son becomes a, a you know a prosecutor and there's there's debts to be paid and a lot of this feels like. The mother-in-law has arranged stuff because the 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 older maid, Byung Sik, has sort of tracked down Unyi, and it's all a bit weird, isn't it? It's sort of like she just plucked her out of nowhere to be this maid, and in my head, it's almost as if the mother-in-law has 
encourage her to get this girl because there's there's some ulterior motive. I don't, it's almost as she wants Hoon to cheat on his wife. Getting her pregnant, that wasn't part of the plan. And there's this whole thing, the mother-in-law says something like, yeah, well, which successful mum, they, men, they have lovers, don't they? But it doesn't mean anything. And it's it's all very weird. But yes, she's a... Everybody, apart from him, is a woman. And you're right. In, the, in, in his rich life, he is very much emasculated. He can't get it up. He can't... I mean, his wife's maybe pregnant with twins, but she's drop-dead gorgeous, right? And she's not a hideous person. I mean, she's a bit materialistic, but that goes with the terror. Oh, no, I think Si Wu is absolutely gorgeous in this movie, and um, and certainly as he raised, the problem is because she's she's now no longer a wife, she's a mother as well. Mm. And because they've got an older child, he's sort of forgotten that, and her being pregnant again, and certainly wanting more children, because, you know, they're financially wealthy enough, Mm. so why not? It's it's removing this idea that he has, because he's like this powerful business figure, so he's used to having all this respect and power, and in the home life he feels sort of like, as I said, emasculated, because he's got to... um, his wife is, as I said, is a mother, which means the focus isn't on him. It's on the children. Um, and as I said, this gives him this sense of like losing power. The mother, her mother is really a fantastic character because as I said, she's very determined that her daughter is going to stay in the lap of luxury and is very sort of ruthless of eliminating the problems, uh, which, as you mentioned already, leads to her attempting to attempting to uh, get rid of uh, Yun Yi in the most spectacular fashion as she not only knocks her off a ladder but so that she is hanging from a chandelier um, in a scene which I actually thought they killed her mm. I was like oh wow she's like dead she's like totally gone but uh, no she'll do that herself later on <laughs> the fact we come back to that sequence for the for the finale I mean, I'm not even going to spoil the finale here, just because it is so jaw-droppingly brilliant. Um, did you um? Did you see what the chandelier was made of? No, I didn't. What's it made? The chandelier of? is made of broken soju bottles. Okay. It's it's it's, it's even there's a there's a lot of imagery going on. By the way, this house was built for this movie, and at the time, it was the most expensive set ever made in Korean cinema. Um, but yes, the the chandelier, it's like this massive chandelier, and you think it's made of glass and stuff like like a like massive chandeliers tend to be, you know, cut glass and stuff like that. But actually it's made of broken bottles and things like that. So when you when she's holding it, she's cutting her hands on broken bottles and it's I, I, I mean, again, more imagery, more metaphor at play there, right? But it's if you don't, if you ever watch this again, you'll now notice it. You wouldn't have noticed it the first time because I didn't. I I had the attention drawn to me by another review I'd read and thought, and I looked at it. Oh yeah, they're right. It is. Um, but yes, that chandelier plays a big part in two parts of this movie, um, and that callback to that is in in sort of in the first uh, denouement. That the movie has um, is very shocking indeed, but we—I think you're right. I don't think we'll spoil it. No, and certainly when it comes to the mother, I mean, she basically 
this it becomes really once we get into the the middle portion of the film uh becomes about them trying to in, get rid of the housemaid but in a very different sort of way because as said the focus is on the fact that she's now the pregnant mistress it's bad enough for her to be the mistress but it's also to be pregnant as well and they obviously like considering pay her to pay a large amount of money so that she can have an abortion and then they try uh, poisoning her and it really just sort of, sort of starts this spiral into sort of like chaos as uh, the family starts to turn on itself, which really sort of like comes to a head really uh, when we get to the finale, uh, which I think was such a perfect end note for the film. While the film itself, I think it's certainly not as strong as the 1960s version. I think it's certainly not without its standout moments. And I found it a fairly enjoyable experience where it lasted, even though it's... Uh, a very different film to the original. Yeah, I'm, I I think my view is it was a pretty good movie. Um, very much a career movie of its time. There's sort of a bunch of movies made between sort of 2000, 2010 that look and feel like this. Um, you know, the, the Korean cinema, it's, it's that it's that post Hallyu wave. There's a lot of money in it. There's a lot of stars in it. There's some good acting. You know, the production quality is astonishing. This doesn't look like a cheap movie or anything, does it? Um, but I think <coughs> it does pale in comparison to the 1960s Housemaid, which I think, the more I think about it, is a better movie every time I think about it. <laughs> this is weird, isn't it? Um and whilst there were things I could laugh at, like the whole rat poison signifier yeah. stuff going on in the first movie, that that's part of you know cinema language in Korea at the time. It's melodramatic. It's that's how it is. This didn't feel as exceptional a piece. The acting is top notch. Everybody in this movie is fucking fantastic actor. It looks great. Yeah, the sex is awkward, but again, we could watch five or six movies that feel like that. That that comes down to me probably just feeling uncomfortable with uncomfortable sex. Um, <laughs> everyone think I'm a great big prude now. I'm not, but it just wasn't fun. Um, and yeah, I I just wonder if it wasn't called The Housemaid and it was called something else, I'd like it more. And we'd just say, oh, that's very similar, isn't it? To a plot thread in a very famous 1960s film called The Housemaid. <clears throat> but by, by deliberately stating it is a a modern, you know, 50 years later version of The Housemaid, I think probably does it a disservice. Possibly so. Um, I appreciate the fact that it goes in its own direction and it certainly stays relevant to the time it was made. Uh, the film itself would go on to be listed in the Time Magazine's top 12 female revenge movies. Which really? is a list that also includes Frozen and Nine to Five. Okay. Which are also, I mean, Nine to Five especially is a very problematic uh, movie. Mm. So it's sort of rather fitting that it's included on the list with this film. So, but uh, yeah. that's a list that also includes like obviously Fatal Attraction and Kill Bill. But I feel that it's also <laughs> they really struggled to pad out that twelve. Mm. Well, funny old number to come up with. Couldn't just do ten. <laughs> Apparently, they were real confident in that they could come up with twelve. Um, um, as as someone who once wrote an article called "The Thirteen Best Stephen Chow Films," <laughs> I can give you some insight that sometimes you just can't cut it down. So you can't. 
and in that I actually had 14 films because I did Chinese Odyssey parts one and two as a single film. So I I feel their pain, but let's stick with decimal, shall we? Base 10. Yeah, I haven't really got much else to talk about on, in this movie. I think, as I say, it's a very stylishly short film and I think there's some really fantastic performances throughout in this film and I think certainly in terms of like the characterization and the plotting I feel that it gets a little bogged down in the middle portion of the film uh which sort of is to its detriment but at the same time it's not exactly the longest film either so it recovers well in that respect and has a as you as you've already highlighted a strong opening and close to this film so uh ultimately i think it was a very worthwhile experience checking out and i'm glad that we uh obviously did this uh prolonged double feature really just to compare the two yeah it's always it's always nice to uh, always, i've always thought about doing something like this um so for example there's um you know there's there's plenty of japanese films that have been remade in Korea for example and vice versa and I always thought oh we could do something like that or maybe as a live action of an animation or something like that but this one actually oh this is kind of perfect especially because the original housemaid's up there in the top three Korean films of all time um so I was quite glad to get us there um and this one just this fell out I I I quite like the remake of the house well the reimagining of the housemaid I just like I said I do think it pales in comparison to the the source material but there's very little i don't like about it if that makes sense i think this is a solid seven and a half out of ten whereas the house made nine and a half out of ten or 1960 is nine and a half out of ten i think that's a huge two and a half points you know <laughs> in in my rating system but remember i'm someone who can give naught stars a half a star on letterbox so you know <laughs> Um, anything else you want to bring up at all? I, d- I don't think so. I'm too excited to find out what you're picking next week. Okay. <laughs> or next episode, because you've given me insight that's going to be one from your top 50. Yep. And there's only one I can see that you didn't talk about, but now I'm wondering if you missed it. So, so lay it on me. <laughs> well, before I do, I'd just like to say to thank everyone for listening tonight. And if you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to listen to us. Follow us on Instagram, we're on threads, and we are on Facebook as well. So come say hi to us there. You can also check out our full archive episodes at asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com. And you can also contact us directly through the site as well. But on our next episode... We're going to be kicking off 2024 with a real fun face breaker of a film that not only stars Michael Wong, but also Michelle Yeoh, as we're going to be looking at 1986's Royal Warriors.
This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.